Hello and welcome to the latest Merseyways podcast. My name's Sarah and I'm part of Liverpool City Council's communications team. The coronavirus pandemic has been an unwelcome part of our lives for many months now, impacting on everything from our physical and mental health right through to our daily routines and our jobs. Around 10 million workers in the UK have been unable to do their jobs because of COVID-19 and they have so far benefited from the furlough scheme, which essentially means the government is paying the majority of their wages and redundancies can be avoided. But with the scheme set to end on the 31st of October, what does that mean for workers and what does it mean for employers who have real concerns about covering the costs when it's anything but business as usual at the moment? Today, I'm chatting to three people who have taken advantage of the furlough initiative to find out about their experience and what the future looks like for them. They are Gemma McGowan, who is one of Liverpool's leading entrepreneurs and is a well-known figure in the hospitality industry, responsible for the gorgeous Isla Gladstone Conservatory in Stanley Park. I'll also be chatting to Millicent Jones, who is the Executive Director for Audiences and Development at the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic, and cellist Gethin Jones, who is part of the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra. Hello all, and thank you for being part of the Merseyways podcast today. Um, I'm keen to chat to you all about your experiences over the last few months, and in particular, the furlough scheme. Gemma, you're director of the Isle of Gladstone Conservatory, which is a, a real gem in the city's uh, cultural crown, really, really popular for weddings and events. When lockdown hit, how did you react? Because there was very little advice and guidance around, wasn't there? It was, it was awful, to be honest. I think going back to just before the lockdown, you could see it was coming. So even though the Prime Minister announced, please keep going out to pubs, bars and restaurants, I think it was on the, like the Tuesday, um, all of a sudden we've got in the Isle of Gladstone, we've got an event space and then we've got um, a, a, like a cafe underneath. The events, we'd had a Liverpool football game that cancelled on the Sunday and then on the Tuesday, um, just people just stopped coming in and we were sat in the cafe and there was no one there. And it kind of, I've always liked to be in control of my own destination of my own business and react to things. And I was sat there and I was thinking, what do we do? So we just decided to close the doors. I sat down with the team and said, you know, we're going to close hopefully for a week, it's two weeks. That was before um, lockdown was announced. And in my head, I'm thinking the insurance policy is going to kick in and the staff will be fine and the insurance policy will cover the wages. And then when it became apparent that insurances weren't going to pay out, I started to get really, really scared for, for the team. Really, you know, it wasn't their fault. One day they're coming to work and then the next day they could be out of a job. How big and then is the waiting, team, Gemma? There's 25 members of staff that work right. there. We do have a bank of casual staff as well where it's a lot of it, it's their second job. But there's 25 members of the team and some of them have been with me for 11 years since we opened. Um, so... You know, once the Prime Minister did announce furlough, it was like, you know, a relief for the team, even though as a director of the business, I don't fall part of that. So I'm part of like the forgotten really where right. there's no support really out there for us. Um, so it's, you know, it's been really scary. Great for the team that there was an 80% furlough. Mm. Um, great that I didn't have to worry about them as an employer. But now it's coming to an end. It's we're still legally not allowed to operate as an events venue, so it's there's no income, you know. So where do we get our income from? Anything that I do pay for the team will be coming from savings. The bank have asked me how much money I need to lend to keep paying the team, but 
am I going to be allowed to open in November? Am I going to be allowed to open in January, March? I don't know when we're going to be allowed to operate again. So I can't tell the bank how much money I need to lend. So it's just a catch-22. Each day I keep looking at the news thinking there's going to be something today. There's going to be something today. And there isn't. So I am starting to panic a little bit now. Yeah, I can imagine it's really hard because obviously you've got your whole team to worry about. But then it's also impacts on yourself and your own family. So it's just a really awful situation, isn't it? Really? Yeah, you know, I do. I worry about the team first and foremost because I always think I can always, I'll always try and pick myself up and do something else if I need to. But then I look, I'm sat at home some nights and I look at my family, like my two children around me and I'm thinking, you know, your life could change dramatically in the next few months because, you know, do we have to sell our house? Do we have to look at, you know, do I have to go and get, I've never worked for anybody in my life. I've only ever worked for myself for 23 years. I'm unemployable. So where do I go? You know, there's no jobs anyway, probably you've never wanted a job. But this is hospitality and um, bars, restaurants, that's all I've ever done. So that you know it's it's really you know the the industry is really 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 struggling so i can't go and open somewhere else because you know they're all closing yeah of course and i'll bring millicent in here because obviously the hospitality and restaurant sector has been hit the culture sector has been especially hit just to give the listeners a bit of perspective that philomonic hires 254 members of staff so at any one point during this um time you've had 235 on furlough i mean I mean, that's an epic number, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, much as Gemma said, our kind of doors uh, were shut, you know, very quickly in lockdown. And the 400 events that we do each year, uh, which we've been doing for, you know, over 180 years now, suddenly came to a halt, which I think is definitely a first in the organization's history. Even during the war, we carried on performing. So, yes, it's been a massive um, process of, trying to keep customers informed of what our plans are, trying to inform them about all the cancellations. I mean, I think to date we've canceled about 60 different concerts from that period, April through July. Um, and now we're in the midst of looking at September, October, November in the same way, because as Gemma said, the hardest part of this in many ways is the uncertainty. And I think in the events business and in a business like ours, you know, we don't plan weeks ahead. We don't plan months ahead. We plan years ahead. So it's not like that we can turn on a dime the minute the government says it's okay and suddenly we're back to normal. I mean, that's, I'd love if that were the case. And we're certainly planning to do concerts from early October, which we're really excited about. Um, it'll be great to, to be back in the hall and I think a very positive thing, but obviously those will be done on a socially distanced basis, which means that we can get about 270 people in the hall, uh, which, um, uh, you know, is, is not going to be financially sustainable, certainly in the longer term. Uh, How many does it generally hold to the hall? 1,700. Wow. And we also normally did performances at St. George's Hall concert room music room, which is our smaller venue, which held up to 180 people, we're not going to be able to use at all. Um, so from having, uh, you know, five to six performances a week in October, we'll probably have two uh, socially distanced performances. So uh, yeah, it, it's just, it, it, the business is always changing. And I think in the creative industries, we are very malleable and adaptable. I'm sure it's the same in hospitality. You deal with what's thrown at you and you don't let it phase you if you can. 
but I think this is a kind of a situation uh, that's really so much larger than that. Um, and it's impacting lives for our customers as much as it is for our musicians and staff. You know, again, when we announce in October, we're, we're hopeful that we can attract people back to the concerts, but you know, our audiences are, are not, uh, uh, you know, folks in their 20s and 30s. So for very good reasons and understandable reasons, they might decide that this is not something that they want to do, despite the extensive safety measures that obviously we will put in place to make sure that the situation is as safe as it possibly can be for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you touched on the musicians there. Gethin, I guess when people have thought about this furlough process, that a professional musician might not immediately speak to mind, but you've been with the orchestra for 36 years, I believe, which is incredibly impressive. That's correct. How has this period been for you? To say the actual uh, hackneyed phrase we've heard of the last six months or so, um, it's unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it ever. And it's... Um, just change all our lives. Um, I'm very lucky in that I'm contracted to play for the film, as well as 70 other full-time symphonic musicians that work for the organisation. Um, as a musician, it's really weird not to be turning up for work, but I'm on contract, so I'm furloughed, and I get, I'm lucky, I get, you know, some of my salary, if not, will end in October. What happens after that, I don't know. Just before we hit record, we were chatting about how a lot of we're seeing a lot of musicians try and do stuff online to rehearse online, but that isn't something that necessarily works for a classical orchestra, is it? You can put things together. We did, um, as you know, some of the musicians of the orchestra got together to do uh, All You Need Is Love, which came out and did quite well on Facebook in terms of, of hits and, and, and people looking at it, which is great. And it was basically um, to raise money for, for charity um, and some of us did that but it, it you, you couldn't do a symphonic program of of you know a large-scale work in that way it's impossible it's literally is impossible um, but uh, you know some of us in smaller groups have been doing things um, you know playing in your garden and things like that all that kind of stuff which is fine but but online, it, it's never going to work. It's never going to work in the same way. Um, we do record, we have recorded many concerts uh, in-house, um, as well as our recordings, which we put out on our website. Um, and we've been trying to, you know, through Millicent and, and the team, they've been putting out um, a concert every Thursday and Sunday, right the way through lockdown at 7.30 on those days that we would normally do a concert in the hall they've been putting recordings of us out there that we've made. Uh, so that's wonderful to keep everybody, all our followers, um, you know, in the loop and, and having some music every week. Uh, but that's coming, I think we've been told now that we're running short of material. So we need to be doing, getting back to it and playing really. Um, so we'll just see where that goes. But it's going to be very, very weird only having 20 odd musicians okay. on the stage doing a distance concert rather than 70. And that, that also, in terms of classical music, that, that sort of like curtails the, the, the kind of repertoire we are generally would play because it, it stops us performing sort of like big, massive, romantic symphonies. It means that we'll end up playing 
which would be lovely, Mozart maybe, and some, and maybe some string pieces, uh, but we won't be able to do the usual coverage of, 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 of repertoire that, that, that makes the film famous, you know. Hmm. Um, Gemma, how do you feel when you think about the 31st of October? Are you anxious about it? Is yeah. An understatement? I, I wake up every morning and think about it and then try not to think about it throughout the day. And then I get it, it's in my head constantly. You know, how can I go into debt to pay salaries when legally I'm not allowed to open? So, you know, it'd be a bit different if it was a choice in the matter and I was deciding not to open, but legally we can't do weddings. But any wedding that we had booked in this year anyway has moved to next year. Right. Because they don't want the risk. They don't, you know, they worried themselves, which I totally get. So we've moved everything to next year and the following year. So basically this whole year is just written off. Um, so when it comes to paying the salaries, you know, when the, when the furlough ends, I'll be getting myself into personal debt. I'll be putting personal guarantees up for that. And it's something I'm prepared to do for the team, but I don't know till when, you know, I can't, it can't be for eight. Some people are saying it's not until a vaccine's ready that, you know, the event industry is not going to pick back up. That could be two years. You know, I can't lend money to keep pay the team for two years and get myself into more and more debt because of it. And when we do reopen, customers aren't going to come bounding through the doors again. You know, as Melissa said, it's planned in the future, so I could open the doors again, but I might not have any events till May. Um, you know, we do a lot of football hospitality for Liverpool Football Club every match day, which we've done, well, I've done for 12 years now. Um, I can't see that happening anytime soon because every trial event that, um, the, that the government had planned for the cricket and the snooker, etc., got cancelled a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, I can't see that happening for quite some time. And I honestly, for the first time in my life, I've not got a plan. I just don't know what to do. And, it, you know, everybody's looking to me for answers because I should be able to give them an answer, but I can't. You know, even all the brides and grooms that are calling about their weddings, I'm sure they think that some of them think that we've got direct access to some information about weddings that they're not getting access to, but we're literally finding out the same time as the whole country and then having to adapt and deal with phone calls and it is awful you know it is absolutely terrible what's happening but there's still the guidance for business owners and for operators is um is it, it's, it's becoming quite poor you know we, we do all have to pause we did all have to stay at home but there's no plans now for reopening and i think the dangers that are being caused to people by having to stay at home now are probably now starting to outweigh the cases of you know, the pandemic that's happened. I know people that are, you know, are really, the mental health is really, really suffering. And they're normally really buoyant people. And some of these people don't want to get out of bed anymore. You know, there's older people that haven't left the house since March because they're petrified. You know, it's, it's really worrying. And I try not to think about it too much, but I'm going to have to start making a plan soon because yeah. it's, um, it's imminent, isn't it? Yeah, you were nodding away, Melissa, then when Gemma was speaking, at, those points resonate with you as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you, you've got to think, you're right, yeah, 31st of October is looming. If the furlough scheme isn't extended or isn't extended for particularly industries like ours that are legally not able to operate really in any capacity. I mean, even these socially distanced concerts are currently not allowed by the government. So we can't announce and plan for the, well, we're planning for them. We can't announce them until it's legal, obviously. So you think, okay, um, 
you, you've got to start thinking about what what are the alternatives? How do we continue to operate? Because out of all of this, we want to emerge as strong an organization as we were pre-COVID. So we want to be able to have the orchestra, the admin team, the facilities team, the box office, the bars and catering. There's a huge team that goes, uh, you know, it, that's involved in making these concerts happen, which you don't realize as a member of, of, of the public going into a concert hall, I think. So you want to have those folks playing at the top of their game when we are able to go back. You don't want to emerge from this weak, uh, under-financed, you know, without that that great team. And uh, the orchestra artistically, I think, has developed so significantly over the last 10 or 12 years and is really on an artistic high, if Gatham wouldn't mind me saying. I think it's just, you know, really performing incredibly well. Uh, you know, and so we don't we don't want to lose that. I think that's what we want to preserve absolutely, yeah. absolutely at all costs. So, um, you know, we yeah. are there. The Arts Council has very uh, kindly put out a an additional pot of funding that we are intending to apply for, which might give us a little bit more um, security to operate with again in the short term. But where this is really going to hit us, Sarah, is not even necessarily this year. It's next year and the year that follows, um, because you know financially, with the furlough scheme, we have been able. Our biggest expense is staffing, so we have been able to run the organization with that security. But without that, um, if once we've gone through our reserves and you know all of our commercial product, the rock and pop stuff that is coming out of the diary, you know, to be honest, that may, we may not have any rock or pop com concerts between now and December, we don't know yet. Um, so it, it, the short term is one thing, the longer term is actually the, the more serious picture, I think. Mm. Guessing that the Gemma, was interesting yeah. Gemma touched on before um, about people who are furloughed and that having a real yeah. impact on people's mental health. And also other people have said, on their skill set as well, because they're obviously not doing their day-to-day -day job. How yeah. are you going to find that when you hopefully soon are going to be back up to rehearsals again? Do you think you'll be a bit rusty and your fellow musicians? Yeah. It it'll be difficult to say how 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 it'll be. Totally. Um, I like to think that <laughs> I've kept uh, I've kept myself in order, and I'm you know I've heard from some of my closest colleagues that I'm I've known for many years who we keep in touch via WhatsApp and stuff uh, that um, you know they're all doing the same kind of thing. But we haven't played together since March, and it's like how would Liverpool Football Club play if the squad hadn't actually kicked the ball together since 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 March, and they're coming together in October to do some stuff. So. As I say, we're coming together mid-September, and the the management have um, have put a really good uh, package together for us coming together, rehearsing, getting to know each other musically again. Um, but what will be really a, a new adventure, if you like, or scary, uh, as opposed to we can together normally. Um, to give each other the room to play, but to hear each other is really important. With the distancing on stage, is that we'll all be sitting a metre and a half apart. And it means that, for example, I'm a cellist, so I have a, a desk partner, and his name's Ian, and, you know, and, and, and I've sat next to him for 20-odd years. 
So we've got to know each other's playing within the, 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 the team, if you like, the cello team within the greater orchestra team. And the fact that instead of sitting two abreast that we normally do and sit in, in four or five rows, we'll only be maybe three of us playing. Mm. And we'll all be sitting a metre and a half behind each other. And it's, all, it's causing all sorts of problems uh, looking forward. Um, the librarian, for example, it gets the music sorted. They're trying to organise the music so we don't have one of us turning the pages. What people don't realise. When we play, if you see a symphony orchestra play on the television, the guy who sits on the inside usually turns the pages for the guy who keeps playing on the outside. And we won't be having that. So we'll have, we'll have to reconfigure that. It's, it's really awkward for them. I'm sure they'll do a brilliant job and we'll be able to cope. But, but not to be able to make music in the normal way will be strange. Yeah. And um, I'm sure we'll get used to it. It's what we get paid for. It's our profession. And we've all grown up all our lives doing it. Um, same as a football player starts at the age of seven. We've, you know, we're the same kind of thing. We, we, belong, we go to music college and academies to learn how to be professional musicians. And so, you know, we, we get by. But it's, it's scary. Um, uh, we, I just pray that the government really see that keep the cultural and entertainment sector uh, alive, that we need it to be a civilised country, um, that they do the same as what Germany and France have done, which is that they furloughed, uh, furloughed the musicians and the, and the staff of all those organisations to a lower level, to up to 70% of their salary not what the government did initially with us, which looked fantastic, committed to furlough everybody until May 2021, to May next year. So they've, the, the, the governments in France and Germany realised very quickly that the entertainment and, and, and performing sector and entertainment sector and cultural sector were not going to be able to open to the public right the way through till the vaccine would come. And so they immediately said, right, we've got to protect this because this is something, this is this, culturally... We are, you know, they represent, the culture represents these countries in a big way, as it does in the UK. And we are so pleased that the government recognised immediately that they needed to support us in this way with the, with, with the furlough scheme. But after October, I hope that they're looking long, longer term than, than up till October the 31st. I hope they realise, like, like particularly Millicent and Gemma have just said, that how are we going to cope after October the 31st? Will, will, will the organisations be able to help out and, and, and furlough privately? Or will we see a decimation of the cultural sector, which would be unthinkable? Um, having lived and worked in it for 30 odd years, um, we need culture. And so therefore I hope the government are listening to us and listening to, and, 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 the, and the Arts Council representatives and realising that, you know, we need investment right, right the way through this. When we first went into lockdown, I didn't realise just how much people did need culture until we were in lockdown. I think, I think we went through, like, for me personally, anyway, and a lot of my friends, it was care, making sure that everyone was safe. Then it was food, you know, if we got enough food. And then the amount of things culturally that I did online with the children, things that I'd never ever I probably would never have seen before but we did because of our lockdown and it's in our lives now and you know the, the, even my children are watching a lot of classical music online you know concerts and things that they would never have been interested in before but they're interested in now and I think we need to keep you know Bethany I, I didn't realize just how much culture I needed in my life until I realized that they're the things in, in life that you do need isn't it it's food care 
and culture. Yeah. You know, and everything else comes to fall in line. Totally. Then, that must be great to yeah. hear, Millicent, from your perspective as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Life gets pretty boring um, without culture. I think that, that's what we—that's what I've realized. Certainly, you know, it can feel a little bit like Groundhog Day. I was just telling, talking to Gethin about this, you know. Uh, and I think also in times of crisis, you know, music particularly has always been a refuge for people. Um, you know, in the wars, you know, the orchestra played a really significant part in bringing communities together. Well, this. A shred of positivity that's come out of that. I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, the October performances can go ahead. And Gemma, let's really hope that you get some guidance soon that's going to give you some security for yourself and the team that you're clearly so passionate and you look after so well. So, um, I think so a lot of a lot of people are, you know, everybody in the industry probably half burying the head in the sand to see what comes comes about. But there's going to be so many redundancies come September, October. Some businesses might be able to see themselves through thinking they'll get a good Christmas in. But are we really going to get a good Christmas in? You know, are people's mindset changed where they don't want to go out as much. They don't want to be in big groups of people. And I completely understand that because we're all scared to go out. Um. But come January, again, I think there'll be a lot of redundancies then. And there's just, the only way of stopping that is giving the money to the people that legally can't operate. You know, there's a difference between not taking as much money and there's a difference between legally not being able to take any money and to pay your team. And I know that sounds so bluntly put, but that's basically the crux of it. We need money in to pay our team. And we'll try and pay up through our reserves or through borrowing money from banks. We'll keep our overheads, you know. But how can we be left in a position where there's, there's no other choice in the matter, you know? And it's not fair on the team who come to work for us, who, you know, signs a contract to come and work for me. And I'm then looking at them come October saying, I've got no money coming in to pay you. You know, that's the last thing in the world. I'm not prepared to do it. So I need to find a way but I can't lend money off a bank with an uncertain date or amount on what I need to lend. I don't want to keep going back to them cap in hand because they'll probably tell me to sling me hook in a bit, you know, when I keep going back and have some more money, can I have some more money? There's, it's not a bottomless pit of yeah. lending money and giving personal guarantees for it. It's, yeah. um, it, it, it's sad. It really, yeah. really, really is sad. It is sad. And I really hope you get some government support and, uh, you know, more support past the 31st of October so that, both your organisations can thrive once more after this period. Thank you so much all for joining me today and um, take care of yourselves. That's the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to drop the Mersey Waves team a line or maybe you have a suggestion for a future podcast episode, why not send an email to hello at merseywaves.co.uk.